Lord, we just thank you for this evening. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and to teach. We ask your Holy Spirit to guide and lead. We thank you for each person that is here. We ask that you be with Nicole as she's driving her sister to the hospital and that you will guide and show us all that we're supposed to do. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul is going to continue talking about the gift that he's collecting throughout Macedonia and, and Arcadia or Greece for the Jerusalem church. And he's been telling them how he expects them to, to do a good offering and, and all of that. So chapter 9, verse 1. For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know that the forwardness of your mind for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia that Arcadia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I have sent the brethren, lest our boasting of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you be ready. Thus happily, if they, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared, we that, that we say not you, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had notice, bef no notice before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. But I say, this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap also sparingly, he that sows bountifully shall reap bount also bountifully. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful give giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now we're going to stop there. It's quite a few verses. All right, so Paul in verse 1 says, For as touching this ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write, write to you. And so he's saying, you know, it is, you know, concerning the ministry to the saints, this word superfluous means over and above. Okay? And basically he's saying, I really don't need to write to you. It's, you know, I'm going over and above to write this to you. But just in case, I'm going to write it to you. All right. Uh, he really is expecting Corinth to make a good showing in this offering. It's, you know, it says here that they were ready a year ago and that he's been using them as the example for other churches. And so he's getting pretty excited here. He says, you know, you're going to, you're going to minister to the saints of Jerusalem. And remember, we've talked about this. In Jerusalem, when they became a Christian, they would pretty much lose everything. They'd lose their businesses. If they didn't own a business, they would, they would lose their work. Nobody would hire them. If they owned a business, nobody would come to shop with them. So this is a pretty big deal. Jerusalem saints, the Christians are having a really hard time. And Paul is saying, okay, let's, let's help them. Let's help them, everybody. So everywhere he's going, he's talking about this big offering he wants to take up. Verse 2, for I know the forwardness of your mind, which literally is the eagerness. Okay, you know, I know that you're eager to do this. You're eager to reach out and help. And this is something that God is wanting for us as his, as his servants, eagerness to serve, whatever that serving might be. And uh, whether it's in giving, uh, ministering, helps, whatever it might be, he's saying, I want you to be eager. Paul later in another book said, you know, I'm a minister of the gospel and I can't help but speak, so I'm going to do it voluntarily because God's going to make me speak one way or the other. You know, and this is, this is a very true statement. God is going to make you do what, what he wants to do. So you can either do it voluntarily or you can have your arm twisted to get it done. Uh, it's much better to do it voluntarily. When we first start out as, as young Christians, almost everything we do has to be kind of forced because we're not thinking in terms of God usually. But he says, I know that you're eager in your mind for which I boast of you to them in Macedonia that Arcadia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. So Arcadia is pretty much all of Greece. All right, it's another word for Greece in the, from their day. It's not really Greece at that particular time, but it's that whole region. And Macedonia is over closer to what is now Turkey. 
So he's saying, I've been all through Macedonia and I've been bragging about you guys. You've been, he goes, you've been ready for a year. You've been taking this gift up and I've been bragging to everybody how good your gift is going to be. So Paul has really been building up and now he's kind of saying, you know, it's time for you to, to put up or shut up basically right. in, a, in a very crude way. He says, hey, I've been bragging all about you so you better have this, you better have this gift that you were telling me you were going to have ready. And uh, he says, you know, I've been telling you, telling that you were ready for a year and your zeal has provoked or encouraged, it would be a better term, many. Uh, your, how excited you were, I've been using your excitement to, to help others. And we see this sometimes with big ministries, they'll, they'll talk to different places and they'll talk about what different groups are doing within their ministries. Uh, trying, to, trying to get everybody else excited, get on board, and here's what Paul is doing. Okay, Macedonia is getting excited. You know, these churches all through Macedonia are getting excited because you, Corinth, and, and you Greek churches, Thessalonica, and all these churches, you, you've gotten excited. You've been collecting this for a year, and we're getting them motivated. They're, you know, it's almost challenging them. You know, are they going to outgive you? You've been doing this for a year, but are they going to, are they going to collect more than you? Okay. <laughs> Type deal. He's, he's, you know, I've been boasting about you. Live up to it. There's right. um, four, uh, three. Yet have I sent the brethren, lest your, our boastings of you should be in vain in this behalf, that as I have said, you may be ready. So he's sending, he's sending some brethren from the church just to make sure. Okay, we've been talking about you. We want to make sure you're ready. And because it could be that they've taken pledges. They've had lots of pledges, but nobody has given yet. And Paul's saying, okay, you had lots of people promise. Let's get it into the coffer so that we can have it in the chest ready to go. Because the last thing he says, I don't want you being unprepared. You know, we've been talking about this. Everybody's been saying they're going to give. And there are lots of churches out there that take pledges for the year. How much money are you going to give this year? And they're always hoping those people will give what they say they're going to give. And uh, I don't believe in that, but that's another story altogether. But you know, this could be what was going on there. All these people saying, yeah, I'm gonna give, I'm, I'm, ready to, I'm ready to give, but Paul's been away for a year and they're kind of forgetting this. Yes, I'm gonna give. We were talking about that this morning in the message, you know, how, uh, or before the message, you know, how missionaries go around in a lot of churches and, and get people, churches to promise to give them money and they know they really have to go way above whatever they think they're gonna need because they know about 50% of the churches are not going to give the money they promised. And here's what Paul said. Okay, uh, Corinthians, you guys made some promises. It's time to, time to, to put up. Be ready. I'm sending, I'm sending you know, workers from me to make sure that you're ready because when I get there, I'm going to have these guys from Macedonia and we want, we want to see, your, see what I've been telling them you're going to have. And... Uh, it's real easy even for us to say we're going to do something and then not do it. It happens in churches all the time. Some people are very, very good at saying they're going to do something and not do it. Some, but almost all of us have some place where we've said we're going to do something and not follow through. And this is what Paul's talking about. You've said you're going to do it. I've been telling everybody you're going to do it. Now it's time to follow, follow through. And you know our goal is to be people of of our word. When we say we're going to do something, we should get it done. Even if it's going to hurt us, we need, the Bible says, we're to fulfill our vows even to our own hurt. And that's a pretty critical place to be. And a lot of people, you know, go, well, you know, something better came up. Well, that really doesn't matter if you made a vow you or a promise, you need to fulfill your vow. Now, they might be okay with it. If something really big came up, they might be okay, but you're not living God's way to do that. And then it says, lest happily, lest happily, if they of Macedonia come with me and find you unprepared. Okay, and that's what he's saying. You know, you made a lot of promises. You said you're going to do it. I'm giving you warning. We're coming. Uh, and I don't know how fast that's coming because you've got to remember one thing about this. They did not have instant communication. When you sent a letter back in those days, the letter would take months to get to its destination in most cases. Uh, they had royal post services which had fast runners, but the average person was not allowed to use 
the Royal Post Service. You basically said, oh, you're, uh, you're, you're headed over to Corinth next month. Uh, here, take this letter with you. And you hoped that, number one, they made it, and that when they made it, they remembered to give the person your letter, and it would take months. Uh, a lot of times when we read older stories, you know, we, we read how they were out of communication for months at a time. Uh, remember when my dad was in the Navy when I was younger, he would get letters in bunches and he would send letters. I mean, he was writing every day, but the, the ship did not go into port every day. So all of a sudden, we'd get a mailbox full of letters, no phone calls, no emails, because none of that stuff was, was then. You know, and that was, these letters made it pretty quick. But in this day, there's, there's nothing. I remember my first emails where I actually having a conversation with somebody for a night, you know, through the email. And it was like amazing. I'm, I'm talking to, you know, Poland, I think it was, you know, and, and I'm getting all these quick responses back and forth. It was, it was quite interesting because of the speed. And now we don't even think twice about, you know, doing Skype and emails and text messages and everything. And, uh, you know, and he's saying, I'm, gonna, I'm giving you this warning. We're coming. Get ready. And I'm sending you these brothers. They're telling you we're coming. And I'm going to have Macedonian, Macedonian representatives with me. Make sure you're ready. All these people who've made their promises get, get their gifts. Uh, and you know, I kind of like this, you know, uh, that, we, that we say not you. In other words, he's saying you're going to be ashamed, but he's including himself in this. You know, I've been boasting about you, and I don't want to feel shame, but I really don't want you to be shamed by the not fulfilling your promises. And uh, you know, this idea of ashamed literally means ashamed to be with uh, embarrassment. You know, being embarrassed because they didn't, because of the boasting that Paul did, the boasting that they did to him to, to get him to boast in the first place. And Corinth is a very rich city, so they should be able to get a good gift. Uh, the church is, is a very popular, populous church. It's a very rich church. And he's saying, hey, you guys should have the money. You said you're going to have it. I'm hoping to see it. And then it says, therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they should go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you have noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. So he's saying, I'm sending these guys. They're going to help you get together your gift ahead of time so that it will be a true gift and not something coerced. You know, we see sometimes, uh, even in like televangelists, they like coerce people to give money. You know, uh, give this because if you don't, God's not going to bless you. And if you don't do this, God's not going to bless you. And if you do this, God will bless you. You, know, you only have $50. Give it to us and God will bless you. And... You know, and that's not what Paul is saying. He goes, I don't want it to be forced. I'm not looking for you to have a covetous or avarice gift. I just want you to give from your heart. And this is something that is so important because we tell people all the time, we don't talk a lot about tithing here, but we'd mention it. You know, but you know, the thing about it is God does not need our money. Okay, He doesn't. He can, he can get us money that's not a problem to him. He'll find a way to get money to any church, any, any ministry that's reaching out for him. But it's our privilege to give to God. And then God blesses us, and Paul's going to go more into that in this section, that God says, give you the privilege. You, you, can, you can go out and support, or you can be very greedy and keep everything yourself. And I am of the personal opinion that God takes his tithes from us whether we give it to him or not and usually takes more than the tithe if we're not willing to give it to him that's my personal opinion I think it's supported by the principles of scripture but I can't prove it there's no one verse that says that absolutely but he says that if we give you give sparingly you reap sparingly as he's going to quote here but uh, I believe that God is very strict on that he wants us to give at least the tithe that he asked for. Ten percent. Of whatever you have. I believe God wants a tithe of our time as well. 
uh, not just our finances, but he wants a tithe of our, of our, of our time. He wants a tithe of our activities. Uh, so this is a really big thing to me. I've always tried to make sure that I give God time each day. I try to honor that. And some days are full of time, especially nowadays. But, uh, but you know, God is saying, what is it that you're going to give? Verse 6 says, But this I say, he which sows sparingly shall reap sparingly, and he that sows bountifully shall reap bountifully. Now, this is just an axiom. It's all through Scripture. You know, the farmer who puts down very little seed gets back very little plants. If he gives a whole lot of seed, he's most likely going to get a lot of plants back. Now, I know theoretically there's a place where you put down too much seed and don't get back, back but that's not true for God. Okay, uh, but he says, you know, if you if all you want is small blessings, just give very sparsely. If you want to see big gifts from God, give give big gifts back, uh, give big gifts to God so abundantly. And he says this is something that he's kind of quoting in you know, there's numbers of scriptures that support this mentality. All through Proverbs, it talks about casting our bread upon the water and, and it will return. And, you know, he that sows, you know, sparingly will not, not get anything. And if he, you know, so there's no one verse that he's necessarily quoting here that I was able to find. But the principle is all through, all through. Verse 7, every man according to his purposes of his heart, so let him give not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So here is him saying, every man according as he purposes, as he desires in his innermost emotions. People will go, well, do I have to give 10%? Well, you don't have to do anything. God is not wanting you to give, you know, grudgingly, this first word, grudgingly. All right, God, I'm giving you money. All right, God, you asked for 10%. Here it is. He doesn't want it like that. Matter of fact, that's not going to get the blessing. Or by necessity, by law. He goes, I don't want you to give it just because you feel that you must. He wants people, and this is where he says, a cheerful giver. And the word literally is joyful, and we get our word hilarious from the Greek word that it is. So God wants somebody who's enjoying his giving. And so when I talk to people and they go, well, do I have to give my 10%? I'll tell them no. I think God wants you to, but if you don't want to give it, God doesn't want it. He doesn't want us doing something because our arm has been twisted. He doesn't want obedience for the sake of obedience. You know, this is what he told Saul. When Saul went out and he, he made the sacrifice, he goes, Samuel told him, God desires obedience more than the offering, the sacrifice. God just wants you to be obedient. You know, and so often as Christians, we go through these activities that we think are going to get us blessed. You know, okay, God, if I do this, then you're going to do this. Well, that is what the prosperity gospel teaches. You know, give God your $100 and he'll give you back 1000 Well, there's no Bible verse that talks about that. God does say here, sow, sow in abundance and, God will, and you'll reap in abundance. But that reaping does not necessarily mean money. It could be eternal rewards. It could be just everything working out well for you. And you know, we see too many people manipulating God's people. This is why a lot of churches won't teach grace. Because they're afraid that if they teach people grace, they'll go out and sin. Well, the thing I have learned over the years is when you teach people grace, they get very thankful for it. They don't go out and just purpose to sin. Well, I'm going to go out and sin because I've got grace. You know, and the more law you give on people, the more law you pile on people and rules they pile on them, the more likely they are to rebel. Because our flesh does not really like rules. Now, some of it, like you know, to a degree, we kind of like some rules. It's nice to know, I do this, I do this, I do this, I do this. But if your whole life is regimented by rules, you live a very boring life. And I know, I've been there. I used to be the type of person that I could tell you what I was going to do eight months from now because if it was Tuesday at 6 a.m., I, I knew exactly where I would be at Tuesday at 6 a.m. If it was Tuesday at 5 p.m., I knew where I'd be. And that was the, my, my whole life was scheduled. 
Now, if God came in and wanted something else, I was like, God, you know, I've got this schedule. You should have told me, you should have told me six months ago that you wanted me to do this. And God had to break me of that intense amount of scheduling. Now, I still tend to be a schedule-oriented person because that's where I feel comfortable. But I make room for God within my schedule. And, you know, when we look at this, God's saying, I don't want this gift just because. You know, I don't want you giving it, you know, well, God, I'm going to give you this gift. I don't really want to, but I think you want me to, so I'm going to give it to you. Yeah, why do I have to? You know, you know, whine, 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 cry, cry, cry. Okay, God, you've got my gift. And he also didn't want it to be even just by rule. And there are people like that. Well, that's, I made this much money. Here's my, here's my check, God. Here it is. This is what you said. You know, you said you wanted a tithe. Here it is, God. You've got my... And those are the people that will have it down to the penny. All right, I, I made $635, so $63.50 and, and is my offering, and, and they have it down. It's God's rule. I'm going to follow God's rule. I'm not looking at doing anything more. And then sometimes God comes along and says, okay, I want you to do more. Nope, God, you said 10%. That's the law. I'm going to... I'm going to hit the 10%. And this is where he's saying, but God wants somebody who's cheerful in their giving. God, I just look forward. I can't wait to see what you're going to do for me because I'm honoring you. Is tithing, you can do other things also outside of, or no? It's going to be between each and each person. As I said, I believe God wants a tithe of our money, a tithe of our time, a tithe of our talents. So, no, I can't substitute my money part of the tithe for saying, well, God, I'm just going to serve you twice as much. But it is all together. God is looking for people who want to serve him, want to give this gift, want to, to be able to help him. He's not saying, I'm, I just have this rule. You know, he says in the Old Testament, you know, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and, and then most of the people will say he owns the hills as well. Okay, God doesn't need our gifts. All right, if he wanted to, he could just create the gold, their silver and gems, and put them in our lap. You know, it's not, you know, it's not like he's up there saying, "Well, I don't know how I'm going to pay for this ministry." Nobody, nobody's giving. I just, it's just going to fall apart because nobody is willing to step forward. The problem with that is you lose a blessing. You know, the greatest blessing in the world is to support the work that you agree with the work that you believe in, and watch what they're doing for eternity. And that is the greatest blessing, that when we get to heaven, we're going to go, oh, wow, look at all these people here, because I, I gave my time, I gave my money, I gave my, my effort to this group. And many times, God will ask for much more than the tithe from us. You know, a lot of people go, well, Jesus never mentioned the tithe, so a tithe isn't important. Well, everything Jesus did was intensify the law. Okay, he said that if you look at a woman with, with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. If you're angry with a brother, you've committed murder in your heart. I truly believe that also goes for the tithe. If all I'm giving is the bare minimum or not at all, I have a problem with that because if I really truly love God and he's working in my life, I'm going to want to give back. And... You know, and the thing about this is sometimes you'll never know who the greatest givers in the church are because they're giving 20, 30 percent and not making a big deal out of it. Because they don't, they're not there trying to say, hey, look at me. You know, I just, look at this, I just wrote a check for, for $3,000 and, you know, everybody pay attention to it. No, that's not, that's going back into this covetousness and, and everything. It's not standing up and saying, God, I'm being cheerful on it. You know, you're boasting. You're doing it for the wrong reasons. And God is saying, I just want you to be cheerful. Just give it. In the ch- church in, in Acts, uh, we had Barnabas who gives a great big gift to the church. And he gets a little bit of reward. And Priscilla and Aquila decide, you know, well, we're going to sell one of our pieces of property and we're going to give all the money. And then they decide to hold back some of the money. And it wasn't the holding back of the money that was the problem. The problem was that they told the church, or led the church to believe, that they had given all the funds for the, for the property, and God struck them dead. 
You know, and it, again, we want to reiterate, it wasn't because they held back the money. It was theirs. They, they only wanted to give 10% of that. Fine, it was doing the minimum. If you wanted to give 20%, 50%, it didn't matter. But to make people think that they were doing something more was the problem. And usually the best givers are just don't want anybody to know. That's been my experience from money counting and being a treasurer in the churches. The people who really give money don't want people to know what they give because they're just doing it because they're serving God. And they're hoping that things are, the ministry of the church will go on, the ministry of the pastor will go on, the ministry to the, for the kingdom will go on, and that's all they're looking to do. And you know, I've met many people that have given lots of money. Uh, J.C. Penney, Sears and Roebuck, uh, the guy that founded Caterpillar, they all, they decided they were going to give God 90% and they were going to live on 10%. And they all ended up being millionaires, which means they gave God a lot of money. Uh, now, is that for every single person? No. Don't presume upon God. You want to give God what he puts on your heart. And over the years, God has told me what to give, and I give that percentage. And you know, do I tell everybody what it is? No, because I don't care. It is over the tithe. I will tell people that. You know, that's, it is over the tithe, but it's not a big deal because I'm not trying to boast in it. I just, God has said, this is what I want you to give. And he has blessed over the years as I give. And this is the fun part, and this is what Paul is saying. Every man just give hilariously, cheerfully. God does not want the money. He does not want your time if you're doing it because, oh, I, I must do this. You know, they're, they're, if I don't do it, they're going to be looking over my shoulder and saying, well, you made this much money. How come you didn't, how much, how come? No, that's not what God's looking for. God is not a big accountant in the sky saying, well, you know, you should have given $1,000. You only gave $999.99. You're off by a penny. That's not God. You know, it's not the way he would operate. He's going, okay, well, you gave $999.99. Uh, but he's looking at what was your heart behind it. Remember when Jesus was outside the temple watching the people give, he goes, all these scribes and Pharisees were putting in great big bags of gold. Okay? But it was not anything to them. You know, they were, they were making thousands of, you know, let's say dollars, and they were given 100, you know, 100 or 200, and it wasn't that big a deal. And the widow came in and threw in two pennies. And Jesus said, she has given more than all of them. Why? Because she gave everything. I can't wait to get to heaven and find out what the blessing on the widow, widow was. Because we're not told that in the Bible. And I'm going, I'd, she is one of the people that I want to seek out when we get to heaven and say, how did you get blessed for giving those two mites that, that Jesus talked about all the, you know, in, in the scriptures? You know, and I know it's probably pretty silly. She's one of those, but she's one of, you know, most people, I want to go find David. I want to go find Paul. I want to go find, I want to find her. How, how did God bless you for giving all that you had? Did you die the next night and go to heaven? Did, you, did God give you a great you know, feast? What, what happened? And uh, I'm just, one of, the, one of those things that makes me curious. Uh, but he says that he wants the cheerful giver, verse 8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you will always have sufficiency in all things and may abound to every good work. I love this. God is able to make all grace. Now we talk about grace a lot. Grace is getting what we do not deserve. All right? We deserve hell. We deserve punishment. And God gives us eternal life. He gives us all the blessings of God. He gives us all the blessings and wealth of heaven. Now, he measures all that stuff different than we do. Now, all we ever think about is physical in most cases. But, you know, I really wonder how many blessings are up in heaven. Now, uh, you know, when we give to support missionaries, when we give to help do ministry work, and souls get saved, those are rewards in heaven that we will have for, for eternity. Much less than God saying, okay, well, you gave $100, I gave you back 1000 but that's all you get. And God may bless these people. If all they want is money, 
He may just bless them with money. And they're going to go to heaven and be poverty stricken. You know, and this is something, you know, like I've said with you, I've got some weird pictures of heaven in many cases. You know, I think that there's going to be people that are going in with all kinds of wealth, spiritual wealth, and there's going to be people up there that are going to go in and they're going to be emaciated because they got saved, but never filled their heart with God's word, never fed their spirit. And they're going to be emaciated and just, you know, uh, little children in heaven and having to grow in heaven. And other people are going to come in and say, look, I, I took every advantage of you, God. I, I fed my soul. I've got a, a nice plump body. I'm, I'm healthy. And we get to be the teachers in heaven. But, you know, this is something that is out there. What are these rewards? Not necessarily physical rewards, because Jesus said, if, if all you want is the praise of man and, and everything, you've got your reward. You've got their praise. If all you did was give money so that you could get back money, and I gave it to you, you got your reward. You got your money back. And he's going to look and say, nothing else. And this is so important for us. Why? Why do we do things for God? Why do we get into the word? Why do we come to church? Why do we give, give to God? Why do we do anything for him? And God's saying, what was your reason for it? And he's saying, I've got something for you. And I will give you what you want, basically. And for most of us, a lot of us, we want to see the spiritual. God, I want to, I want to see the spiritual. I've said one of my songs that I love is Thank You, God, and it talks about going to heaven and finding all these people coming up and saying, I'm here because you taught, you gave, you, you did this. And the you know, story goes into this. You know, the kid comes up and says, you may not remember, you taught my Sunday school when I was eight. Another guy comes up and goes, you know, I'm here because you gave to a missionary and that missionary taught me, you know. And I can picture this. You know, who do we have to thank for our salvation? You know, it might be an interesting long-term term, uh, thing. Uh, my great-grandmother prayed for my dad to get saved. She only had to wait 32 years for him to get saved. Now, I got saved first. Was, was I part of her prayers to get him? I don't know. And it's possible that I'll be going to heaven and saying, thank you for praying for dad so that I got, that I got to come to heaven. You know, and how far back do we go? There's a long chain of evangelists that go one to the next to the next to the next that got saved through each other's ministries. You know, what would happen if any one of them did not do their part? You know, who might not be in heaven because of that? We need to keep this in mind. And this is why I say it's hard to say. You know, God isn't looking just for money. He wants our time. He wants our effort. Uh, you know, and this is he wants our life to be godly. And there's been many people, they look godly when they come to church, they say the right things, they do the right things, but if you visit them at home or you see them at work, they're going, is this the same person I met in church? Because they're putting on a show. And they've got their reward, they were seen by men, but they're not living it out. And many children leave the church because they look at their parents and don't see a real, a real life. They go, well, you say all these things in church, but you're not living it out. And this is critical for us, that we live out our Christianity. And that is all aspects of it. And this is why I say when we talk about the tithe, it's hard to say. You know, if you're really tight and you can give a lot more time to God, but you can't give your money, then God's going to say your attitude was right. Uh, I personally think that the tithe should be given anyway, but that's between each individual. Because God is going to, says that we have liberty. Okay? We're not com compelled to serve him. You know, and this is why people, well, can I do such and such and still be a Christian? Well, my answer is if you're asking me, the answer is no. Because you obviously don't have the liberty to do it. If, if you're just going out and gambling and you have no problem with it, then you've got the liberty to gamble. But if you're asking people, you know, is it okay to gamble? For that person, no, they shouldn't be gambling because they're questioning whether it's right or wrong. And so this is something that we have liberty. But if we have to sit back and say, should I be doing this? The answer is no. Very clear, because if I'm questioning it, in the back of my mind, some places, this idea that there's something wrong with it, whatever it might be. And this is something that we all have to stand before God and say, God, I did this because, or I didn't do this because. And he's looking at us, that we're going to stand before him and say, this, this is what 
I've been convicted of. God has convicted each individual about certain things. And this is why it is so easy that somebody could be sinning doing something that somebody else is allowed to do. But one is sinning because they're convinced that there's a problem with it. The other has no problem. They're living in liberty. And they have no problem with it. Now, there are certain things that are just not allowed. You know, homosexuality, abortion, uh, adultery, fornication, murder, stealing. God very clearly says you shall not. Being a drunkard is, is a sin. Is drinking a sin? Not necessarily. Unless you can't keep away from being a drunk. Uh, or if God is convicting you not to do it. If he's convicting you not to do it, then don't do it. And, you know, and I'm not saying it's a good thing to do these things. I'm just saying it's between each individual. You know, Paul told the Corinthians, you know, hey, if you want to go eat meat offered to an idol and, and you have no problem with it, go do it. You have the liberty to do it. But if it offends a brother, don't do it. Okay, let's go back to the person who can gamble with no problem. But if they make somebody else offended because of their freedom, they shouldn't be doing it in front of that person anyway or letting them know what they're doing. And this is what ends up happening is because God's also going to look at it and say, how did your life affect those around you? you know, yes, you had liberty. You could do it. But did it hurt somebody else because of your liberty? And this is something, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people can drink a glass of wine with their dinner. I've never been wanting to, and now as a pastor, I never would. Not, you know, and I never wanted to, but I still wouldn't because somebody may look and say, well, pastor's doing that, so I can do that, even though I think it's a problem. And so there's a huge issue there. I want to live as pure life in front of people as I can. I have my issues. I have my problems, but I try to keep it down just because I want to serve other people. And so this is what God is saying. He says, God is able to make grace abound to you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. God is saying, I want to give you your needs. And that's literally what he's saying. I'm going to give you all that you need. And this word for sufficiency literally means to have what I need. Now, in America, we have a different problem. We have a problem because we think needs are a lot more than than what is really a need. Uh, you know, when our poverty level is so high that you know, you're, you're a rich person in every other, every other country in the world, we have a problem. When our poor people have cell phones and cars and, and you know, running water and electricity, you know, they're living a lot better than their needs. And so God says, I'm going to give you your needs. Now, what those needs are? probably going to be different in every country. I mean, I'm, in America, the yes, needs are a little greater because of the affluency of our country. But a lot of times people will find out they don't need everything they think they need. Anything above that is just being covetous. I want. So is that like in the Ten Commandments when they, they crossed the Red Sea and God fed them every day but told them to get just the amount that they needed? And he would keep supplying them. So they were supposed to get the amount they needed for the whole day? Yes. For, that, that for the day, because it was, it was, the manna was only out in the morning. Said so those who had a big need took more, and those who had a small need took less. And he got mad at them because some people said, well, I don't want to get up early tomorrow morning, so I'm going to get two days' worth. And it got moldy and full of maggots and, and stank. And, it goes, and then God got mad at them for, for not taking confidence that he was going to meet their needs. So is that how we, because like we watched the Ten Commandments last night, and that hit both Mason and I were like, okay, so God provided every single day. God's mercies are new every morning, and he does not, what he did with manna is not necessarily what he says to do all the way through, because he does tell us, fill your barns, you know, honor God, and your barns will be filled with plenty. He, there is not a problem with preparing yourself for the future, as long as you're not putting all your trust in that. Okay? It is a good, wise idea to put money away for retirement. But how much money do you need for retirement? There are people that just keep socking away money for retirement you know, and work until they're 80 or 90 and have millions of dollars, but they're just so afraid to use it. There's others that don't pay attention to it at all, and they're not necessarily wise stewards. Okay, God, one day I'm going to be too old to work, and I'm not going to have anything to live on. 
know, there is a balance. In manna, God specifically told them, take only what you need for the day. Now, on Friday, take, can get two days worth because I'm not giving you manna on the Sabbath day because you're not allowed to work. And we had people that violated that. They, you know, well, God, you know, probably the ones that got two days worth in the beginning and it stank say, well, I'm not getting two days worth on Friday because it doesn't last two days. So was the Sabbath the Saturday or the Sunday? Sabbath is Saturday. But, you know, for us, we worship, every, you know, every day of the week. You know, we're not, we're not stuck to just one day a week of, sat, you know, of, of worshiping God. So, you know, the biggest problem is God knows that we need to rest. And that's the whole purpose of the seventh day rest. Because even people who say they like to work, and I'm one of those, I like to work. I have to rest. I can only go, you know, I don't know how long I can go anymore, but in the, in the old days, I could only go for about seven months without rest. And then I, would have, then I would crash. I'd have to. And you didn't want to be around me on the seventh month because I was starting to get irritable and, and angry. And God knows that we need to rest. And that's why he created the Sabbath day. It wasn't because he was so tired. You know, gee, I worked six whole days. I, I am exhausted you know, building this, you know, this, this universe. That wasn't what was going on. He just said, we're going to rest. We're going to use that as an example for human beings to rest. So we all need a day when we just rest. And it's one of those things that parents know it's hard to rest, especially when you have young kids. It's very hard to rest. And... You know, so we look at this. What is God asking us to do? He, we put our honor to him. We look at how can I rest? You know, I work hard on Sundays. It's a big day for me. I'm not resting on Sundays. A lot of people do. But Sunday for me is a big day. My day of rest is actually Monday in most cases. And I have to work my other job on Monday. So it's, uh, I, don't, I don't have, being a bivocational pastor, a real day of rest. I have a couple evenings where I rest and don't have to work as hard. But you know, I enjoy what I'm doing so it never feels like work. Uh, which is also why God said rest. Because we can get to having something we enjoy so much that we never stop doing it. And God say, no, I want you to make time. And what is the thing that we're doing? Not necessarily even just for us. It's making time for God. That I'm gonna start looking at God, I'm gonna pay attention to God, I'm gonna worship him. And that's the whole purpose of our day of rest. Uh, the Jews took it and made a whole bunch of legalistic rules, but the time was God says, just go and worship. Go to the tabernacle or the temple or the synagogue and worship. For us as Christians, let's go to the church and just spend time paying attention to God and rest. Don't be paying attention to work. Don't be paying attention to a lot of other things. Just rest. And for a lot of moms, Sundays was never a day of rest. You know, it was a day for them to go to church, make a great big meal for the family, go back to church, and fall into bed totally exhausted at the end of the day. Uh, so it definitely wasn't a day of rest for them. They had to find some other day to rest. And this is what God is saying. What, when are you going to rest? And you know, we've got into this whole thing, you know, well, if you're not worshiping on Saturday, you're worshiping on the wrong day. Well, you know what? I guess there could be some truth in that if you want to be bound up in laws. But we have the liberty. When am I resting? You know, and we are walking in faith rest. You know, we're, we're, we're in a perpetual place of rest before God if we're trusting in him. And this is one of the reasons I can get by with, without days off because I'm just looking and say, wow, you know, I have so much fun preaching and teaching that I'm looking at, wow, this is so great. And I have three evenings a week, you know, maybe four sometimes, that are mine just to give to my family so I basically have two days of rest when you take the evenings all together but you know we can get so bound up I gotta do that I gotta do this I gotta do this and then we're coming back to this I'm doing it out of compulsion or out of grudging God I've gotta you know, I gotta do what I gotta I gotta stop working one day a week and that's a hard thing for a lot of people it really is a hard thing for a lot of people especially if they're a type A driven workaholic you know, God wants me to give up a day. You know, that's one day I can't make money. And God says, exactly, I want you to pay attention to me. And so we, we see the, this problem in, ending up. Uh, but he says, I am going to provide all of your needs, and it's going to abound to every good work. 
and I've said this before, God is not up in heaven dropping the blessings on us with an eyedropper. Now, it's not, okay, you're going to have three drops of blessing. Oops, I gave you four. You can't have a blessing tomorrow. I gave you two. That's not God. He's looking to just dump buckets of blessing over us and saying, here, I've got, I've got you're honoring me. Let me show you what I have. You know, good parents want to do bless their children. You know, we're not, you know, Jesus said, you know, if your child comes to you and asks for a fish, are you going to give him a serpent? Of course not. You know, you're going to give him the fish and probably cook it, you know, make sure it's a, you know, a big one. Not, okay, let's see. I, can, I have a little sardine here for you. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, I've got this great big catfish here. You can have the, you can have the salmon, <laughs> you know, uh, if you have it to give, you know, but it's, you know, but we have this picture of God saying, okay, you, you, you want fish? All right, here's your, here's your little tiny sardine. I'm, matter of fact, I'm not going to give you a sardine. I'm going to give you a goldfish. A little tiny goldfish out of the aquarium. Have a good meal. That is, but that's how most people look at God. That he's up there being so cheap and, and, you know, we have to beg him for everything. And God's saying, I want to bless you. I want to bless you. Are you giving for the right reasons? I'm looking to just pour out the blessings upon you. Now, again, if I'm giving just so I get blessed, God says, nope, you've got the wrong attitude. And at that time, they'll probably get the goldfish and not the, the big blessings that they want. But if all I'm doing is honoring God, he's going, oh, you've got the right attitude. That's, I want to bless that attitude and give you such blessings that you can't even imagine half the time. And, you know, and, I, and I tell people, I, God has made, given me such a good life. I honor him with my money. I've honored him with my time. And I've watched him bless my life. You know, uh, if he wants to make me Job, then I guess that'll be one thing I'll have to learn and go through that. But right now, I've honored him, and he's giving me the blessing. And if he's going to take more away, that's fine, too. I've lived by faith as well, barely having anything. But God managed to pay the bills that needed to be paid and blessed it. So I understand the idea of honoring God, serving God cheerfully. You know, and, okay, God, you know, you only gave me $50 this week, so here's your five, and I really, really need it, God. No. I was like, here, here you go, God. <laughs> you, you gave me 50, huh? Here, here's your part. Uh, and then in verse 9 it says, As it is written, He hath dispersed abroad, he hath given to the poor, his righteousness remains forever. And this is from Psalm 112, verse 9. And it says, the righteous give. God expects the righteous to help other people. You know, Jesus said that he, he will see the people and he'll say, when I was in prison, you never, you never came to me. When I was hungry, you didn't feed to me. When I was naked, you never clothed me. And both groups said, you know, when did we... When did we see you this way? One is getting, say, you fed me, and the other one says that you didn't feed me, but both groups say, you know, hey, when did we see you like this? And Jesus said, when you didn't do it to the least of these, you did it not to me, or you did it to me. And, you know, and it's hard sometimes to figure out how do you help. Uh, when I was living in Sacramento, we lived in a, the church was in a very poor neighborhood, and there were panhandlers everywhere. And people all the time were going, how do you know whether to give or not give? How do you know if they're being true? And the answer was a pretty simple one. If God puts it on your heart or you think it's put on your heart, give them. If you've given with the right attitude, God's going to bless it. You're not accountable for what they do with what you give them. If they're cheating people, God's going to get them for cheating people. Now, having lived in that neighborhood, I knew the ones that were always on the street corners every day at the of the week, and no, I didn't give them because they were making a profession out of it or got to know them and say, yes, you really have a need or you don't have a need. But my answer was always simple. Do what God leads you to do. If you think God is doing something and you're wrong, God is still going to say, well, you gave it with the right attitude and he's going to bless it. Maybe not as much as if you had given when he told you to, but he's going to give you the reward for being a servant. Which is why I tell people, if I'm going to err, I want to err on the side of grace. I want to err on the side of being overly generous and see what happens. Does that mean I'm going to be foolish? I'm going to try not to be foolish. But if I don't know 
one way or the other, and I think it might be a good thing, I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to err on the side of grace, give people grace more often than not, because I want them to understand that God loves them. God loves us. And this is something that is so precious. There are so many Christians out there that are living a life that shows a God of anger and bitterness rather than love. You know, and they're going to have to answer to God when they get to heaven, but they also hurt so many lives in that process. And you know, so I'd rather be gracious. God is so gracious to us, and I don't even think we fully understand how, grace, how much grace he's giving us and won't until we see it from heaven and go, oh, wow, all these things that didn't happen to me was your grace? All those times that you took me through these things and I never recognized them? And I've said this over and over. When your eyes are on God, you don't even hardly recognize the bad that's going on around you until you look back and go, wow, it was kind of messy back there. There was quite a storm. And your eyes are on God and you just walk through the storm. Now, if you take your eyes off like Peter, who went out walking on the water, he did really well as long as his eyes were on Jesus. But as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at these big waves and looked at the fact that he was walking on the water and all of a sudden it dawned on him, I can't walk on water, he sank. He took his eyes off Jesus. When we take our eyes off Jesus in the middle of the storm, we sink. Hopefully we're like Peter, help! You know, Jesus, help! And Jesus lifted him up and then chided him for his lack of faith. Um, verse 10, now he that... He that ministers seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food and multiply your seed sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Here he's saying if you help somebody who is ministering, you're helping to feed them, but you're also giving them ability to sow more. And this is why all people who give get, get the reward. Okay. I may not be the one who's going to go out to Africa and witness to the, to the native people, but if I'm supplying to them, I'm providing for that person who's ministering their food and giving them the ability to minister, and God says, you're both going to be blessed. Uh, the military is really good about this. They reward battle ribbons to everybody down the, down the, the supply line. You know, the people who fought the battle, plus everybody who made it that they got their stuff. You know, all the truck drivers and, and helicopters and everything that, and ships and everything that took them their stuff get the same battle ribbon because if you didn't have them, they wouldn't have been able to fight the battle. And so God is saying, I recognize that same principle. Without you supplying these people, they couldn't do their job. Now that doesn't mean all of us should be at home supplying <laughs> Supplying people, but if that's what God's called you to do, if somebody is really good at running a business and making lots of money, then they need to be doing good business work and supplying the people that are on the field. Those who are out on the field ministering and preaching, they should be getting that supply so that they can do what they do well. And this is why churches are asked to support their their leaders. You know, in the tabernacle, they, the people gave the, the tithes, and God had the tithe go to the Levites. That was the way they were paid. They were paid from the tithe. You know, and they took care of the place. Yeah, they took care of the tabernacle and they helped fix it up, but they got their substance from the tithes. And there's a lot of people going, well, you shouldn't have full-time full paid pastors. Well, I don't know. It's, the Bible had lots of them. And they were supported by his people. Why? So that they could be able to minister to people while others raised the funds and took care of the buildings. And so it's very important. This is what Paul's saying. You know, if you minister to these people, you're providing their food and allowing them to minister. And you know, we're not looking there to make them lazy. You know, but he says the worker is worthy of their hire. And that's true of the business world, the church world, anything. If somebody's doing work, they deserve to get paid. That's just the way it is. Um, and that's godly. You know, if I hire somebody, God expects me to pay them. Uh, and so we look at this. He goes, being enriched in everything to all bountifulness, which causes through us thanksgiving to God 
For the administration of service not only supplies the want of the saints, but it abundant, but it is abundant also by many thanksgiving unto God. While by experiment of these ministrations they glorify God for their professed subjection unto the gospel of Christ and for your liberal distribution unto them and unto all men, and by their prayer for you, which long after you, after you in the exceeding grace of God in you, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gifts. So he says, you've been rich. You're, you're f- richly furnishing all things to this gift. All right? You're giving a good gift. He goes, and it causes thanksgiving. These guys who get it are going to be thankful. And this is something that's important. If God blesses you with gifts, be thankful because it is something that you didn't deserve. When I was walking by faith, it was so interesting the way God would meet my needs so often. And I got, I did a lot of prayers and just saying thankful. I would tell people I was thankful for what they did. And it was wonderful. I enjoyed it. It's a tense way of living at times, but it's also fun to see how God blesses and how God provides. And it says, for the administration of this surface not only supplies the want of the saints, okay, he says, you're giving this gift is not just supplying their, their wants or their needs, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. You're going to be thankful. They're going to be thankful. The ones who carry it are going to be thankful. He says, there's going to be a lot of thankfulness. And God is going to reward in heaven. And, you know, and this is in verse 13, he says, while by the experiment of this ministration, they glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel of Christ. This experiment is really a sad word here because the word is dokimos, which means the testing to see if it's pure. Uh, the word dokimos referred to various money exchangers who would make sure that the coins were legitimate because people in those days had a habit because they used real silver, real gold coins, many people would start shaving the coins. And after a while, your coin, you know, your big coin is going to get smaller and smaller. And the Dokimos money exchanger says, nope, this isn't, this isn't a real coin. This, is, this has been tampered with. And you knew that if you went to them, you were going to get a real coin. So he says here, the people, by the experiment of the ministries, the ones that are literally proving it to be true, This is something that when we go out and we're being led by the Spirit, we very quickly learn what is true and what's not true when we're ministering people. Uh, The Holy Spirit will teach us and give us discernment. There's people I've looked at and they look really good at first and you're looking and going, God, there's just something wrong here. I I don't know what it is, but there's something wrong with this person. Or you come up to another person and go, wow, this person really knows God. Not, not that they're perfect or not perfect, but it's just the Holy Spirit comes in and proves these people. He goes, we're proving this ministry. They glorify God for your professed subjection to the gospel. Okay? You're showing that you are in subjection to the gospel. And this word is hopoteo, which means to abide under the gospel. And God is asking for subjection. He wants us to be subject to our rulers. He wants to be subject to our, our leaders. He wants us to be subject to him. And he says, these people are going to be so happy that you are subject to the gospel and for your liberal distribution unto them and to all men. Liberal. Overabundant. And he goes, I'm looking forward to your gift. It's going to be a big gift. And it went down into history that this was a big gift that went to Jerusalem. That these churches and all over the Gentile churches gave to the church in Jerusalem, which is mostly Jews. Kind of blew their minds. You know, Gentiles gave all this to us, and we didn't even want Gentiles in the church, and the Gentiles now are giving us this big offering, very liberal offering. And it says, and by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding graces of God in you. Because they're going to pray because they've, they've, they're going to love you. Their love for you is going to push them into praying for you. And you know, when somebody richly gives you a blessing, you definitely usually have this affection toward them. This person helped me out in a great time of need. And 
you know, they don't want they don't necessarily want recognition, but they're going to get some recognition because of what they've done. And you're going to go, I just love what you've done. I love the way you reached out. I love how you did this. And Paul says, they're going to, they're going to be praying for you. you know, they may never meet you in this world, but they're going to pray for you. And he says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. I don't know what gift he's really referring to. I don't know if it's this big gift of liberal gift. I don't know if it's salvation he's referring to. But I think it could be just about any of those. God gives us so much more than we expect. You know, and again, we see people who have a really small attitude toward God, and we see some people that have really big attitudes toward God. And God will meet those needs. All right, we're going to close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we've had to look at your word. We ask you to guide and teach us. Lord, show us how we can minister to others through you and do it with great compassion and desire, not because we're made to, but because we want to serve you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.